Today, we are talking about Jesus, and we're continuing the Christmas story. Um, Jesus as a refugee. And uh, our, the title of today is uh, Jesus, Son of God and Refugee. Um, so I did a little research on the current refugee situation. And currently on our uh, planet, there are over 100 million uh, refugees currently. And um, it's, it's at a peak right now, or I, I don't know if it's peaking, but we, we haven't been in this kind of situation since World War II. Um, the other th interesting thing that I learned was that there, um, 70% of refugees actually just come from five different countries. Uh, those countries are Syria, Venezuela, Afghanistan, South Sudan, and Myanmar. And then I know a lot of us um, are aware of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and about six and a half million um, refugees are estimated to be internally displaced within Ukraine. And then there's another six million refugees outside of the country at the moment. So today we're continuing our, um, our um, Christmas narrative in um, Matthew chapter two. Now, West Island and South Shore are starting the uh, Revelation series, and we'll start that next week. Uh, I, I don't know if this will make sense to you, but if, if you were held back a grade, we're kind of like held back a week. So, But we get to celebrate Christmas, which for me is great because I'm the kind of person who um, holds off on Christmas till like the week before. And then um, I actually really enjoy celebrating Christmas in January because commercialism has stopped celebrating it like the minute Christmas is done, right? And they're like, on to new things. Valentine's Day, everyone, get ready, you know? So it's like my time. And actually the church calendar is that way too. Uh, we celebrate Christmas, starting on Christmas and then following that. So uh, we're in chapter two. And I also like this chapter because it tells us a little bit about Jesus's childhood. There's not a lot about his childhood, but I'm always interested in it. I have a lot of questions. Like, what was his parenting like? Uh, what, what, what did his bedroom look like? What was he like when he was five? We don't get all these, uh, the details like that I would want, but today we get to learn about our Lord who came to earth through childbirth and had some years of moving around. Who of you, uh, raise your hand if you grew up moving around when you were young, like you changed schools and things like that. Yeah, there's, there's a, quite a few of you. Uh, I grew up in the same house my whole life, and you might be jealous of that. Um, I took my wife Vivian to Colorado, and um, there are like scratches on the wall that were my scratches when I made them, or like paint or markers, you know, it's like, oh, there were, I was two and I did that scribble and my mom hasn't painted it over. So uh, that's what it's like to live in a house your whole life. But some of us didn't grow up that way. Now, you might be wondering, what's the difference between a refugee and an immigrant? And I, I looked that up as well. Um, immigrants choose to move, whereas refugees are forced to flee. There's another word um, that we should know, and it's called displaced. Uh, there are people who are internally displaced within a country. Those are refugees as well. And there are externally displaced people. And in both situations, uh, it's not their choosing. Things have gotten so bad, they have to leave. 
or they might die. Um, so those who are immigrants are also in difficult situations. There are many different reasons why one would want to move. And I want to acknowledge that some of those situations are really tough. And uh, it's a difficult thing to leave your country, leave your family, leave everything you own. These people are some of the most vulnerable. You might not be able to speak the language. You don't have a support network like some of us do. You might not have rights. You might not have money or land that you're coming to. You're living off others' lands, you're renting. You don't own as much. And what I realized about all these things as I was listing them is these things insulate us. They are security from disaster and trouble. And it's kind of like the more things we have, the more insulated we get when hard times come. And this makes sense. This is something we should do. And this is something we try to help others do. These are all types of security. So being left without these things leaves you vulnerable and in a place of insecurity. So when we look at Jesus's childhood, we see that he was left vulnerable to this world. He was subject to rulers, human rulers that were quite frankly evil. He was born in a manger and then moved around a lot until he got to Nazareth. And do you know what they used to say about Nazareth? It was a hick, nowhere place. And they'd say, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? So that was kind of the place where he grew up. So the gospel message that we find in uh, Matthew chapter 2 is that we have a king and a savior and a God who is worthy of our worship, no matter the circumstances that we come from, or the home you have, or the citizenship you have, or don't have, you are accepted. You are valued by this God. And when you come to know Christ and invite him into your life, Christ becomes the total security that you're looking for in whatever life and future can throw at you. So let's take a look at uh, uh, verse number 19, if you will. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. Herod was ethnically Jewish, but um, the Jewish people, your average person, uh, synagogue-going person, would not, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, find Herod to be a good man at all. Um, Herod was uh, the appointed loyal person to Rome, and his interest was pleasing Rome and holding on to his political power to the point that, now we're going to summarize chapter two, that when the Magi, called the wise men, you've probably heard of them, they came from outside of town. They saw a star. They were probably astrologers from Babylon, something like that. But the point is, they came from the outside and came to Herod and said, we would like to see this king. There's a prophesized king in, uh, that's coming up out of your kingdom. And he was so insecure that he killed all the babies in that town just to stop it. Starting in verse uh, 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, uh, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king? <clears throat> Excuse me, king of the Jews? We saw his star 
when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Then the wise men um, go to see Jesus, but leave a different way to conceal where Jesus is. In verse 16, it says that when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and the vicinity um, who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So Jesus was probably around two years old when the Magi came on their visit. So that might wreck your whole manger scene in your mind like you grew up with. Uh, It was probably just the shepherds and the family and the donkeys, but not the three wise men. And we don't even know if there were three. There are three gifts, right? Um, And hence, uh, Jesus was probably about two years old. uh, And we can see why, because Herod's order was for those who are two years or younger. An angel warns Joseph about this and tells him to take the family and flee. So this is a small targeted killing of around 25 to 50 children, probably. There are some other estimates that probably exaggerate the numbers because Bethlehem was really small. So if you do the math, it's probably, uh, you know, 100 or less, not like thousands or something like that. But the number doesn't really matter, does it? This is awful. This is... No number of babies should ever be killed for some silly reason like this. It was incredibly evil what Herod did. And this is what Jesus was born into. At two years old, Jesus was made a refugee and had to flee with his family to a foreign land because of a targeted genocide. So Herod was a bad dude. And uh, I think we all often think of the Christmas story is, you know, light and fluffy, and but there's a lot of darkness. Yet Jesus is that light, that candlelight in the darkness that um, we can look at. Uh, one scholar says this about Herod. Towards the end of his life, Herod became increasingly paranoid about potential coups and had several of his sons and his most beloved wife executed to forestall what he feared were attempts to overthrow him. And at one point, Augustus Caesar uh, made a joke about Herod. So this is how you know it's really bad. He remarked that he would rather be Herod's pig because a Jew would not kill and eat a pig. He'd rather be a pig than Herod's own son because it would be safer. So Herod was evil, and what he did was evil. Now, I also find myself wondering about this genocide because you might be wondering this too, uh, What about those other babies? They didn't have a chance to flee. Why did an angel alert Joseph and have Jesus be sent away while these other ones were killed? And I don't have all the answers to that, but what I see is that Jesus is born as the light in the dark. And yes, he was able to flee from this, but there comes a day later in his life that he was asked by his father not to flee, but to stay. And that was the day he obeyed and stayed and was executed on a cross in his answer to evil and our tears for that suffering that took, um, that takes place. And he takes the rightful place to answer all the questions that we might have as the rightful ruler in the place of people like Herod.
and over all mankind. So what does it mean that Jesus was a refugee? When I hear stories about refugees, I have a much greater appreciation for living in Canada. Um, Canada, the U.S., are destination countries for a lot of immigrants and uh, refugees. It's a rather stable country. And we definitely have a lot of refugees um, and immigrants in Montreal, I think a greater number compared to other places. Um, and we probably even have some here with us, among us. And as I did some reading for this sermon, I didn't know what to talk about when it comes to um, stories of refugees. Um, and, but as I read situation after situation, story after story, I realized um, two things that I'd like to share. And one is refugees carry tragedy with them. The reason that they left, wherever they left, something tragic happened, and they carry that with them to this new place. And the other is that they live in insecurity. They don't have the layers of protection that we have. They don't know what the future can hold. It, you're just a lot more aware of what a little life circumstance can change. You're just a little bit more aware of what's going on or what could happen. So as I thought of what it would be like to be a refugee, I came to realize how much security I have and I take for granted. I take a lot of comfort in this kind of security. I have US citizenship. My wife has a Canadian citizenship. I just got my PR. I know a lot of us are working towards that. Um, I have rights that protect me. I, I can speak English fairly well. Um, when I lived in Taiwan, I used to teach English just because I was born into it. Um, I have both my arms and legs. They were not destroyed or injured in a bomb. That means I can lift things for work. There's so many that the list goes on. I have parents. And these are good things that any immigrant, refugee, or any, any sane person would want and encourage others to have. And when we move to another country, we spend effort to build these things back, layer after layer. The goal is to build up security again. But at the same time, I want to bring up that we can learn from these type of situations, as well as ask some questions, like the hard question. Where is our security and source of security coming from? Is it living in a good country, good country, stable country? Is it securing that home or that apartment that's gonna appreciate in value? Is it getting into the school program or getting the job or the PR card? That can all fall away, I realize. It's pretty fragile for all of us and it can all go wrong. Um, for, for refugees, they have it stripped away. Now, I, the message today is I don't want you to just feel bad for not being a refugee. <laughs> you know, go, oh, I have all this great stuff. I should feel bad because I have good stuff. No, that's not what I'm trying to say today. But this is a good opportunity for us to be aware. Um, and as I looked for stories about refugees, I actually just thought of my aunt. On Christmas, um, I went home and got to visit one of my aunts. A year ago, she was healthy. Three, three months later, 
maybe four to five months later, she had uh, she got a, an aggressive form of cancer. I saw her in August, and then I just saw her recently. Um, she's been taken off chemo. Her liver no longer works. She has jaundice. She has no hair. And I could see her skull starting to form because she's lost so much weight. Um, she probably has weeks to live. And it was just such a reminder of how fragile it all is. It's a real thing. Uh, she's, she has retirement. She worked really well as a nurse. And she has 12 grandkids. And all those dreams just kind of fall away, right? This vision of growing up with your grandkids and having good retirement, visiting them, like those are good things, but they all fell away very quickly. Now, you and I might never become a refugee, but troubles will come, and they're going to shake the foundation. And that's an opportunity for us to look at what we find security in. These, these times help us to know what, what, what we hope in, where our faith is. And as we look at Jesus today, he has credibility when he challenges us in Luke chapter 6 about a wise and a foolish builder. He says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my word and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. So he's saying, if you do call me Lord and put into practice what I say and living on me, hearing me, they are like a, a man building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on a rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built but the one who hears my word and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation the moment the torrent struck that house it collapsed it was uh and its destruction was complete so it's about faith and trust in god in the very core of your life and even for us who have faith in Christ, this is a really good time to have some spiritual housekeeping, right? Today is our reminder and our challenge. Are you going to be a wise or a foolish builder with the time God has given you? What are you building with your time? This is not to say that when bad things come, that you are an unfaithful person, and that's what's causing these things to happen, but rather they are an opportunity to attend to the most important and central things in your life. And that would be to know Christ as Lord and live in a way that actually means he is Lord. And that's through daily obedience. It's what's central to faith. We can see that in Joseph um, when he says, get up and go. And then he get up. He gets up and goes. That's the type of obedience that we're seeing. So in verse 19, the end of 19 into 20, it says, In Egypt, the angel of the Lord said, Get up, Joseph, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the heart of uh, in the in the place of his father he was afraid to go there and if i could be so kind as to ask for the map to come up we'll take a, a picture uh, a look at that um, so the angel asks 
them to go back to Israel from Egypt, and we'll get that picture up eventually. Um, so, uh, and that must have been a relief. Okay, so the king targeting your son is now dead. Woohoo! But the angel didn't say anything about Archelaus. So here's a picture of, uh, you can see Bethlehem in the top right corner. Jerusalem and Bethlehem are about five miles uh, apart. Um, and then uh, they go from Bethlehem down to Egypt. And in Egypt, it, there's actually a sizable Jewish community. And there was an early church there later. So it makes sense for them to go here. And then they, they go back up uh, through Egypt to Nazareth. Why do they go to Nazareth? Well, they head back to Israel, and all of that is Israel, from all the way north to Israel down to Beersheba. There, that's, that's uh, Israel. Um, they find out Archelaus is taking charge. Now, Archelaus was one of Herod's sons who survived him, and I mean that ironically, like he survived his father. But uh, unfortunately, like father, like son, was true for this guy. Um, Archelaus was rather cruel to the Jews, and it took multiple um, appeals to Rome to, to kick him out, to banish him from the country and from his rule, and that happened in 6 AD. So this was a rough and tumble time in history to be living here. I mean, you have to be a pretty nasty ruler, like compared to Herod, what he was doing you have to be pretty bad to, to be banished for being cruel, you know? Um, this, is, this is not a good situation. So th there's no wonder why Joseph said, ah, oh, let's skip Judea, which is in the, in the southern part, and go up north. Let's stay away from him. And that's how they ended up in Nazareth. Now, Nazareth, um, John chapter 1, verse 46, says, uh, someone says, you know, okay, where is Jesus from? He says, Naz uh, they say, Nazareth. He goes, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nazareth was known for being nowhere. Can you sense the disappointment in his voice? Um, maybe I can illustrate it this way. Who, who would like it, if I offered a ticket to Paris, who would like to go to Paris? Okay, okay. Um, what would you, can someone shout out, like, what would you want to see? Emily? The, the Louvre? Uh, okay, anyone else? I, uh, no, I, I don't think you know about Paris. Let me read about Paris. Set at the junction of the Grand and the Nith Rivers, Paris, Ontario is a picturesque town known for its array of stone buildings such as Paris Plains Church. I can sense some disappointment. Does anyone want a ticket to London? No, okay. <laughs> but you can see where I'm going with this, right? So I don't want to offend anyone, but when I moved to Canada, I was like, okay, there's Paris, there's France, and there's London. It can leave some disappointment comparing to other places like Paris, France. In these kind of terms, Nazareth was a disappointing place. So if you did come from a town like Paris, Ontario, or Sarnia instead of Narnia, um, you can take some comfort in knowing that God has a plan for you. It was God's sovereign hand that 
the Son of God would be born in a manger in a small town of Bethlehem. And it was under his hand that he was taken all the way to Egypt. And it was God's will that brought him back to Nazareth to grow and mature. Now, I point this out because I think there's a lot of pressure for us to live in the perfect place. Have you heard of the real estate saying location, location, location? So let's talk about your location, my location. When I talk about Montreal, I get kind of two different reactions. The first one is, oh, it's exotic, it's artsy. Um, There's all these festivals and just wait till summer. Um, That was when I... (laughs) I got here in the fall to winter, and everyone, it was almost like apologetic. They're like, just wait till summer, you know? <laughs> it's great. It's a dreamland. Um, and then there's the other side. Other people say, oh, Montreal. The, wi- the, the winters suck. Uh, the construction is never ending. Don't get me started about the traffic. Oh, there's this problem and that problem, and the list goes on. And then when I took government French classes, um, I was the only American in the class, and people would uh, say, you know, what's your name? Where are you from? And then immediately, like, why? Why are you here? (laughs) You could get a job in America. I have to be here. I'm trying to work my way up. That's the kind of thing. So... When we bundle up, uh, so why are we so concerned about where we live? One of the things we learn about where Jesus, uh, about Jesus's life and about his location in terms of beauty, opportunity, and the fun things you can do, the quality of restaurants, is this. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God, the very son of God who came from heaven, heaven, in eternal communion with the Father and the Spirit, came to earth, came to Nazareth. He was born of Mary and walked at the average speed of three miles an hour. And he mostly grew up in Nazareth. So why are you and why am I so concerned about where we live? I think this thought really dominates us. We frame where we live by the opportunity that we can have, the apartment we have, how much the sun hits the apartment, the neighborhood, and we keep our eye on the future because we bundle up all the securities that we are compiling and going with these level of my citizenship job and income, I am going to I will move there next. So that helps me feel better about where I live now. And we just keep it going. But we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And whatever place it is that you want to go to will not change you the way you want it to change you. Jesus grew up in a nondescript place. So we can too. God is always doing something in these places. Now, I want to talk specifically about a group of us that have moved here to be here, or better yet, um, those who immigrated to Canada. And I'm not pointing you guys out specifically, because I think we all struggle with this, but I want to I point out a specific distraction. 
because the pressure is great. When you immigrate to Canada, you already feel behind because there are other people that have been here longer with better support systems who already have uh, the right place to live or the job. It just takes a lot to work your way up. And the distraction is this, work. Sometimes you came here because you agreed to a certain job, but you have a really bad boss and you just don't have a way out of it. And so work becomes all, all it's about. Or the temptation starts to hit when you're like, I can work on Saturday and Sunday and get double time. I'll work eight days a week. This'll be great. But that starts to wear you down. It starts to isolate you and you're already isolated because you left everything to come to a new country. And I'm not trying to beat you up here. I'm, tr I'm saying this out of love. How are you and I going to cross that finish line where we want to go? Building a dream is not a bad thing. But how are we going to get there? Falling out of church is not going to do it. I think it's returning back to the basics of our faith. You know, God has been guiding you and leading you and got you this far. Why take over now? Okay, God got me this far. I got to... I got to figure out everything else. I can't trust God anymore. I got to work double time. I think it's stay plugged in. Focus on having a vibrant life with the word sustaining you, feeding you, being encouraged by the Holy Spirit in this community. That's what's going to help you cross the finish line to where you want to go. It's not going to be that extra study hour. Okay, I got a lockdown Sunday. I need those extra three hours to study because I've been procrastinating. No, that's not going to help you finish your program in style. It's being a vibrant Christian. And community, this community will get you there. So if we were to focus on where we actually want to live, where is that? I have two places for us, two answers. So Jesus's physical location changed from Bethlehem to Egypt to Nazareth, but the whole time he lived in location number one, God's will. God's will is not this place or that place. So let's focus on the fact that God is active in our lives and we have the ability to hear him and obey him now through the Holy Spirit, no matter the place. We look at Joseph. An angel says, get up and go. So he got up and went. And he heard God in his dreams. And I don't have a lot of time to talk about that. But what does that mean? It means knowing who God is and being known by him. It's a relationship. Joseph was theologically right. He knew his Bible, objective truth, and he also had a subjective relationship with God. He knew when God was speaking. He heard that voice before. When you've heard it once and hear it again, you start to know him. Be known by God and know, uh, and, and know him. And the second place that I want us to live is here. Montreal. That's right. Let's live in Montreal. And a lot of us are not really from here, are we? And we probably have plans to leave. And by the end of the semester, some of us will not be here. 
and we'll ha have even new people come here. Some of us have plans to be here for one or two more years. Some of us have plans to stay here. We're all different, but the fact is, here we are. We're all in Montreal. I want us to live here. And if I was preaching in Sarnia, I would say the same thing about Sarnia. Here we are in Sarnia. Let's live here, no matter what you want to do in life. And there's a lot for us to do, such as getting to know the people around you. We have a lot of immigrants. We have a lot of refugees that need help. They need to be known. And so I have some really fun application points. Number one is meals. Do you like meals? I like meals. It's a delicious way to get to know people. Um, <laughs> thank you, Evan. Um, so I, meals are a great way to have someone over or go to their house. And I think better yet, um, when I was single, I used to do a lot of couch surfing. And I realized this was actually a great way to get to know people. Um, because what I realized is when you have dinner with someone, you stay until a certain point and you're like, oh, I got to drive home. So then you, you kind of cut it off there. But the good stuff really happens when everyone's like brush their teeth, ready for bed. There's more time to chit chat. You really get to know people well. And then when you wake up the next morning, I saw their kids get ready for school and, and leave the house. And we'd had like a simple breakfast and you start to feel part of the family. And so I know some of us are single. I think it's a great way to spend time with other families. Um, and then if you're a married couple, maybe there's a guest room or something like that, or you get permission from your spouse to go ahead and do that. But I think it works both ways, too. It's, it's not just, oh, we need to reach out to the immigrants, but I think that immigrants, not to make us us them, it's just we're in totally different situations, and we need to come together as a church and build that community. It's also to reach out, say, hey, I would love to have a meal with you, whether that's at a restaurant or in your house. These are great things that we need to be pressing into because we live here. We live in Montreal, and this is your church. And what can you talk about if you need a discussion topic? Ask for stories. What's your story? There is so much to hear about another person. It doesn't matter how small you think it is. Ask their stories. So today, I want you to feel encouraged. Some of us are in a place of insecurity. Storms have come. And I invite you to come to Jesus today. He is the one who lived through vulnerability and insecurity, and he made a way through this evil world so that you and I could find a secure place in him. So we can take up, as the psalmist says in Psalm 18, verse 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Do you want to say that? Do you want those words to be your words? The father who rescued Jesus from the evil hand of Herod, sending him to Egypt, saved him that day. But don't think that the father was distant from the evil in this world and the pain and the sorrow that it carries. Jesus was his response to evil and his way to rescue us from it. The sons of Bethlehem were murdered by the insecure ruler of Herod. But God's son, Jesus, 
was not spared from evil and was crucified 30 years later. He took on our evil so that whomever would believe and trust their life in his life, death, resurrection, and current rule could have eternal life now and forevermore. That's what we hope in as Christians. Jesus came to us. He entered our world and made a way for us to come to himself where he is rightfully king. No longer does Herod reign and made a way for us um, to come into his rule, to be known by him. He knew what it's like to be a refugee. He knows what our world is like. He's worthy of our worship. And we can come to him now in prayer, in obedience, and in worship. And we're invited into King Jesus's kingdom, Jesus of Nazareth. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending your son to us and this Christmas message. And Father, forgive us for the ways that we hold on to securities. Uh, maybe some of them are unaware, but today you've, you've brought light to them. Father, would you encourage us? Would you show us that our, our foundation is built on you and nothing less? Lord, would you bring to mind people I need to reach out to? Would you give me the courage to do it? Would you help me to see how I am living in Montreal? Would you give me a vision for this year? Would you give me tangible things that I can do this week? Help me press into my life here in Montreal. Would you empower me to do it? Would you give me relationships, meaningful relationships through this church and through this community? In Jesus' name, amen.